This is the Total Football Podcast. I am Declan Hart. And I'm Andrew Conway. Let's get on with the show. This fellow Ronaldo is a cod. Arsene Wenger's been in Japan for a year. He doesn't know anything about English football. I have nothing to say. I'm so sorry, I have nothing to say. It's the history of the Tottenham. But this action is really incredible, incredible. If you don't know the answer to that question, then I think you're, you, you, are, you are an ostrich. Jose Mourinho was seen crying following Roma's qualification for the Europa Conference League final. In many ways it was touching, but what would the man of 10 years ago say about such a moment? Was it pageantry? Was the whole thing for show? Or you know, or would he have been doing that ten years ago? Like I'm, I think when Jose Mourinho and winning and victories and all that, you think back to, you know, him always throwing the medals into the crowd and stuff like that, and then meaning nothing to him. Um, so I do wonder, was it all for show to kind of make the fans believe that you know this season hasn't gone particularly well, but maybe it is all worthwhile. Well, like his his Roma adventure has been kind of low key, I guess. We we haven't seen as much of it as I think we maybe thought we would have. But uh, I think it has gone kind of well for him. Like the fans are are coming in numbers that they haven't done before at the Stadio Olimpico. I think they're they're fifth in Serie A, but they they'll probably finish fifth, which is you know not terrible, but not great either. They would have liked to have gotten tough, or sorry, sixth in in Serie. Is it, it the Europa League? There'll be a Europa League team next year. Yeah, uh, I can't remember if they're below or ahead of Atalanta, but you know, it's it 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 just makes me think back to when Benitez won the the Europa League with Chelsea, and then Mourinho came in and replaced yeah. him as permanent manager, and was like, "We are not a Europa League team. We this is beneath us." And then he went and won the Europa League with Man United. Years later, he claimed it was one of the best achievements of his career, and uh, now I I assume he'll say the same if. Uh, Roma can beat Feyenoord in the final and Ari does just make you realise how far this guy has fallen in recent years yeah like I need to yeah the Man, the Man United victory in the Europa League as well kind of tells the story but um, yeah Roma are in 6th place at the moment level on points with Atalanta and only 2 points or 3 points ahead of Fiorentina so they can finish as low as 8th place uh, like and it be realistically, they could finish as low as eighth place and outside of the Europe, the even the Europa Conference League places. So they might mm. need to win this uh, <laughs> to sustain European football. Um, because do the winners of the Conference League get automatic qualification to yeah to the Europa, the Europa League. League? The Europa yeah. League, okay. Um, yeah, like I I don't know, but, but, like Mourinho is a bit of a in some regards he's a complete farce, and in other regards it's a masterful show. And I mean that in the best, you know, a show. He's putting it all on. It's all for, you know, the clicks or the popularity or the attention. And maybe some of that is to detract away from the sporting negatives associated with his teams. And maybe it is to endear his players to him. And it's endear fans of of his own clubs to him. It's never sat right with me. Um, but, it, you know, he, he hasn't got to where he is without having an ability to wow people and to soon people and to seduce people. And maybe the crying and maybe this whole, you know, iffy season with Roma, where, where a Serie A title was there to be won. And Roma do have a very good side and have very exciting players, both in attack and defence, but they never really worked in tandem this season. And... um. You know the Europa Conference League, while a, a trophy and a final, you know, fair play to them on that. It it isn't where Roma thought maybe they would be at the end of the season, having appointed Jose Mourinho and spent money. Yeah, it's still interesting though because at the end of the day, this is the first Europa League or Europa Conference League final, and these are the two teams that we've got Roma playing Feyenoord, and I think it is in in many ways quite fun to see two kind of old institutions of european football kind of get a bit of a moment in the spotlight again after i know that i know the roma got to a semi-final a few years ago but this was a club that you know were able to reach the final back in the 80s of the european cup um you know they've but they've not really been able to repeat that kind of success for a long time uh but they've they reached the final fine order as well have won the the, the Euro- european cup uh, and haven't really been yep. able to do anything in Europe in, in the last 20 years, really. Um, so it's it's nice in many ways to see them get to the final. Yeah, they're they're well, sleeping giants isn't quite the word, but they're they're clubs that are fundamental in the history of the European football landscape. 
huge clubs in their own right uh, in terms of their, you know, Feyenoord obviously one of the homes of total football, massively influential um, on European football for for decades, and still a producer of fantastic young players and a and a cherisher or whatever a, a nurturer of young players. A lot of young players still go through Feyenoord and and come out the other end and then go on to bigger clubs. And Roma, similarly, you know, one of the big clubs in Rome and always nearly men really uh, with things. But like, it, it'll be a good opportunity for one of them to flex their muscles and and to win a, a European trophy again. And uh, then, meanwhile, in in England, the title race uh, kind of. Did the opposite of blowing wide open? Uh, do, do we have a term for that? Liverpool dropped points. Close shut, you know, slammed shut, like the transfer window. Um, <laughs> it's an interesting uh, philosophical yeah. cliche question. Uh, can the title yeah. race close shut? Um, but <laughs> Liverpool dropped points at home to Tottenham. Uh, neither side really particularly happy with that. Uh, I'd imagine Man City took advantage by winning 5-0 at home to, to Newcastle and with a three-point gap you'd have to imagine they're home and hoes now, right? Uh, yeah, I kind of feel that way but then again I felt that way around Christmas as well when they, Man City had their initial lead up uh, and Liverpool wore that down over time and and like we said weeks ago and although we were proven mostly incorrect I think one of the things we said is that both of these teams are going to are capable and will drop points and Liverpool showed that they are. They're not a perfect side. They don't have electric players in every position that that perform week in week out they've got some world-class players no doubt and most of the time that's enough to carry them through uh but they don't have you know a cristiano ronaldo to break a deadlock in the 95th minute or leo messi to just do something out of nowhere um they do have exceptional players but not that level and without that level you kind of do struggle at least part of the time because um, no one's really unbeatable i think that's been proven over over time in football and especially in the last couple of weeks um and and really new and Newcastle was going to say but their their plan didn't work but Tottenham did go to Anfield with a clear plan of frustrating Liverpool they knew they were going to do it in advance they'd they, they'd set up their team in an attacking formation as a result of that Liverpool and they just didn't have what it took to break them down now there was a couple of unfortunate chances and some lucky escapes uh for Tottenham during the match I believe it was it Sessegnon knocking a, a free header across his own box across his own six yard box and Lloris having to save it you know if that hadn't happened maybe we would be looking at a different result in this game but like Tottenham played their game to perfection holding back ready to pounce on the break always having that bit of always having two or three players forward so Liverpool couldn't commit fully and they're always looking behind them when they had the ball on on, on themselves and Really, was it was a masterclass from from Conte. Um, it probably again wasn't the result he he really wanted from the performance, but at the same time, it could have been a lot worse. Yeah, and it was interesting after the fact. Then Klopp kind of you know took to the media and didn't show his appreciation for this masterclass from from Conte. He said. No. He said, for all the praise for Tottenham, a world-class opponent, they won against Manchester City. The gameplay works for these games, but they are still fifth, and for everything, they were time-wasting. It makes not easier, it's smart, but not easy. Um, you know, he yeah. seemed particularly frustrated, you know, took it, took took out those frustrations on Tottenham. But if you're Antonio Conte, like, this makes the most sense. You know, he points out that it worked against Man City. Um, and, and, you know, I'd, I'd also argue that if Conte had been at the club at the start of the season then maybe they'd be fourth right now and not fifth. And, you know, it's it's a difficult task that he had to take over midway through the season. Uh, I thought those kind of comments were pretty unfair considering, you know, Conte and Klopp have the same amount of Premier League titles. <laughs> you know, I think he yeah. deserves a bit of respect for that as well. Um, you know, he is a brilliant coach. He doesn't always play like this. You know, this isn't how Tottenham uh, approach he, a game he against does Burnley. Most of the time. <laughs> no, he but like his, his Inter Milan side did play some brilliant attacking uh, football. Um, you know, I think he, he gets a, a bit of a bad reputation for this stodgy defensive football because he knows how to make it work, um, which not everyone yeah. does. But he he can do so much more. He is a very versatile coach in that sense, and that's why he's so good. Yeah. Um, so I thought those those comments were interesting. Like that, that's maybe more than Klopp would have said about his arch nemesis Pep Guardiola. You know, much more respectful relationship there yeah i definitely think there's less respect in this relationship and i don't know why maybe there's been history in the past i don't remember enough of the of the chelsea liverpool games i know conte's not had doesn't have a great record against klopp uh, but it's mostly down to draws i think and maybe that reflects more poorly on klopp than it does on conte maybe conte wanted those draws um, but I, I, I understand and I understand where you're coming from as well when you say that Conte is a, is a versatile coach I think he is more versatile than we've seen at Spurs 
<clears throat> I think there is a there is a nice. I don't want to say it's attacking because it's. I don't ever think that Antonio Conte plays attacking football. I think he has the capability of playing very compact football, which, if done in the correct way, would mean that you basically have eight players in attack if you have them, everyone on 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 their game, and they can all get in there and all create chances to score goals. But I think fundamentally, he is a defense first coach, and there's nothing wrong with that, as you said. Um, I just think he likes being without the ball more than being with the ball, which is. You know that's probably the the core difference in their philosophies, um, as managers. Like I, I I do think that perhaps in this day and age, or at least at the moment, it, you know, for Conte to actually win something, you have to have misfiring teams in the league. The way they did it with Chelsea and the way he did it with Inter last year, it was because there was misfiring teams in the league and nobody else could get their act together in the time over a season and that's why he won it's not the only reason he won uh, but it did assist in his way like if this if Conte's Chelsea team of 20 when was it 2014 or 2016 16. of 2016 was playing in this league I'd still say they'd be third you know they they wouldn't be competing with City and, and Liverpool the way they've been playing this season um, but that's just I think oh, that's yeah. just how the cookie yeah. crumbles you have to remember as well that the, the Chelsea side that he took over had just come 10th in the league the year before. Yep. Yep. You know, I think, uh, yeah, Conte, I think, is, is one of the best Exceptional managers manager in, just in, in the world. Yeah. I, I don't even know if he has a ceiling. Like, I'd be very interested to see what he could do in this league, and I hope he stays at Tottenham, um, you know, in this, see, league. Yeah. In, 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 in this league, but with a Tottenham side like that has already got some very exciting players, but does need a bit more investment to, to get over the hump of another 10-15 points which is what they need to even come close to uh, a, a title challenge um, you yeah. know I'd, I'd be very interested to see what, what that would look like and it is good as well that he does bring that tactical versatility there because otherwise it would be kind of uninteresting to see another uh, another side that just plays like Liverpool or plays like Man City you know it's nice to have that variety in the game and, and it brings this nice clash of styles in games like these like some of the best games of the season have been that one there on Saturday night and and the one at the Etihad as well between Tottenham and Man City like that was probably the game of the season if I were to just think back for two seconds about it um Mm. and you know like that 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 as well having a foil for these two sides is something we really need as well like even if Tottenham right now aren't in a place that they can challenge for the title it's fun that we have a bogey team for them both like they yeah. picked up um, two points against Liverpool, which is very impressive considering that means they went unbeaten, and they picked up six against Man City, which no one else has done. So like that is obviously three of them were with Nuno, but still like that it, as a club, it's still quite fun that we have this here because otherwise, it would feel a bit relentless in how easy it is for Liverpool and Man City to just win every week. Um, but 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 the funny thing is that that the draw also didn't help Tottenham in their pursuit of top no. four. Yeah, they're kind of kiboshed, if that's the correct term for it. Um, it didn't help anybody. Like it's, it's harmed Liverpool's campaign. Like, will it? Does it fundamentally hit them ba- badly? Not really, because there's three games left. Three points. What was the difference between three points and two points? Uh, or three points? Was it three points and one point? It's still, it's still roughly the same. The the thing that's hurt Liverpool more than anything this weekend is the goal difference. Uh, but on the the Tottenham side of things, they've really left them a bit of. A bit of a problem because now their top four hopes are out of their hands. So even if they do manage to beat Arsenal, if Arsenal win their other two games, they're they're qualified for the Champions League. Um, which you know it's 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 basically left them in a in a in a not a very nice place. <laughs> and let's just say that that like even if they do all of that they can do, it mightn't be enough. Yeah, and interestingly as well, Man City, while they won very comfortably uh, to Newcastle, Pep still took the time to have a pop at at Liverpool, which we haven't seen him do very often. He um, Mm. had a very specific line where he said, everyone in this country supports Liverpool, the media and everyone, which was a very, I thought, pointed comment to make about Liverpool, kind of trying to uh, earn some sympathy points, I don't know. Um, But uh, I think it's... it's, it's a very ridiculous kind of point to make. Like, what really is the purpose of saying that, I wonder? Uh, yeah, I don't know exactly. I don't know what his agenda is with it. He's not completely wrong, because, you know, as we discussed off air, like, there is more Liverpool representation in the media than there is Man City representation in the media, or people, even in that regard, you know, the the whole sports-washing debate, 
I suppose, comes home against Man City more than it does most other clubs, including Liverpool, obviously, uh, at the top of the table. So that I suppose they experience more negative media attention compared to Jurgen Klopp, who has this... Not that he has um, a hoodoo over the media, but he certainly does have the kind of congeniality with the media that, Man- that Pep Guardiola and Man City don't seem to have. I think there might be a bit of... Um, is sour milk the right term uh, about it sour grapes maybe about the way that you know man city are this electrifying team that that set points total records and and compete at the top end of the champions league season after season and they they win matches without a, without breaking a sweat five nil uh, meanwhile liverpool get all the praise and like look how great mo salah is he's player of the year again um, look how great Liverpool signings are. They've slotted right in, and Man City doesn't get the same appreciation. And I think that's maybe starting to bubble to the surface. What I'm saying is maybe it was a long flight from Madrid. On uh, yeah, well, like it's interesting as well. Like you bring up a few good points, but the, I think the the contrast that we see between Klopp and Guardiola in the media, we also see on their team on the pitch. Like you know, Klopp is very charismatic very charming i think the only yeah. media personality he doesn't get on with is des kelly of bt sport <laughs> um, but he gets on who with would? everyone else who would? Like, who would yeah who would yeah oh god don't get me started on old des uh but <laughs> um you know he, he gets on with everyone you know he's got that and uh, you know he likes to hug people he's got a very jovial personality whereas pep can come off very cold and very sarcastic and condescending and almost yeah. robotic at times. And then we see that on the pitch where Liverpool are a very charming side to watch. Like, they're very gung-ho. Um, you know, the the crowd is always with them and, and they, they take to the, the big occasion very well. Whereas Man City are just so robotic. Obviously, they have the, the sports-washing angle to it all as well, which is just going to, mm. you know, add that extra sheen of, um, you know, inauthenticity around the club as well which doesn't help with the coldness of Pep. Like, it would be interesting to see what the the media reaction would be if, if Klopp had actually been at Man City and Pep had been at Liverpool and they played, and, and if, if Man City played like Liverpool and, and vice versa, and, you know, they, the, the two completely different atmospheres, would that have seen a slight tilt towards Man City in, in that respect then? Or would it still be, oh, the media is behind Liverpool, everything this and everything that about Liverpool? Like, that's a very interesting way to look at it as well and Pep went on and he, and he said as well it's because Liverpool has an incredible history behind them in European competition not in Premier Leagues because they've won only won in 30 years but it's not a problem at all he said the situation is what it is and I thought that was an interesting dig as well like very pointedly mm. saying well they don't actually win the league all that often so why does anyone even care um, yeah. you know which is quite an interesting thing to say after Liverpool have only just dropped the the crucial the potentially crucial points that decides the fate of the yeah. title yeah maybe maybe like it does come the more you read into it the does come across the sour grapes especially with the the dig about like how many how many Premier League titles is Pe- as uh, Pep won now three three I think yeah yeah like it's it is coming a bit mm, a bit a bit of sour grapes being felt there um, definitely with the, with this with this move well it's interesting as well that you bring up the the transfer stuff and how Liverpool as well slot in players like Luis Diaz came in in January and it feels like he's been there for years whereas like Mm. Man City we've got the Jack Grealish conundrum where it's like well why is he even in this squad and then today it's been all but confirmed that they're going to sign Erling Haaland who is you know maybe the second most exciting attacking young player in the last five years behind Mbappe maybe even more exciting Mbappe who knows uh, I suppose it's just down to your opinion but you know either way it's an absolutely huge signing um, you know it's going to cost a lot of money 65 million or 75 million I think is the release clause but then there's agents fees and all that and of course mm. you know we say that our sympathy goes out to the Mino Royale family yeah. for uh, his tragic passing there last week but I assume there'll still be a hefty fee paid to whatever agency that he ran and they'll probably I assume continue on and his honor or whatever um so that's an interesting aspect to it as well but that is you know a lot of money for them to drop on a single player which they don't normally do what they've started doing now with Grealish and Ireland yeah um well they, they've always been doing it the thing about Pep and Man City is they they don't go out and splash the 100 millions but they do splash like three 50 millions and that's how it adds up like you look at their defense like 
they've, they've always been very targeted in doing that as well like I remember I can't remember which chief executive it was at Man City but they were saying basically oh look at us we don't break any records uh, for individual players that's what you know May United and Liverpool do um, you know with mm-hmm. Pogba and Van Dijk and Alisson and them so like that was very pointed that um, you know they were targeting the 50 million mark which they brought in four or five players at um, you know each season it felt like so now this seems like a, a change in strategy where they are going all in on specific players which they hadn't done before yeah uh, I suppose it's putting the how would you say the finishing the finishing touches on the squad at this point which is interesting considering uh, Pep Guardiola has hasn't he committed himself for the next few years like, I think the, next year is the end of his contract it's, it's Klopp okay. signed a new contract there to 2026 oh, yes. Yeah, so I'm thinking, you know, maybe there is because I'm looking through that squad and like, there while there is like very good things for the future there, and even in the backups they have, you know, in, in goalkeeper they they do have um, Gambazuma coming through and other players like that, but like there is a bit of you know post Fernandinho, post Kyle Walker, post Kevin De Bruyne, post Ilkay Dundagan, you know, those are the players, the next group that will probably be sunsetted along with Riyad Mahrez, you'd imagine. And and if talk, talk, if rumours are to be believed, Gabriel Jesus is out of the place at the end of the of this transfer window coming up. So who else comes in there? Because I don't necessarily think Erling Haaland and Gabriel Jesus, while they play centre-forward positions, I don't think Haaland's going to do that running back and playing right and left winger in, in Champions League matches the way Gabriel Jesus does. So there is more signings to be done. And is Pep just going to work on next season and going for that Champions League again? Or is he going to start the whole rebuilding process all over the way he did the first season he was in uh, when Chelsea did win the league that year? Yeah, it's really interesting now what this does mean for the future of um, you know the, the players and the management at City. Like, you know, it, it seems like almost, you know, this seems like more of a sign that they would make in the immediate aftermath of Pep leaving. You know, a new coach comes in and gets the big signing and, you know, really would fit better with with what that coach is trying to do. Like, I'm not sure if Holland is really a pep player. Like, it almost feels a bit like he's signing Zlatan again. Um, you know, and, and, you know, that didn't do... That didn't go particularly well for him. But, uh, you know, they're not they're not one-to-one, of course. But I do feel like it could have a similar effect. Yeah, like, I think... I think like one that that Barcelona side that Slatan went into had Leo Messi in it, so you know essentially you couldn't really have a, a, a you know a, a a trident center forward on top of a, a Christmas tree formation the way you can with Haaland with Messi in the side. Um, so I I think things can be rearranged to cope with him. He's younger. He does do a lot more roaming and, and pressing than Slatan did even in younger days in his career. And I I personally think Haaland has willingness to learn and shown a willingness to learn like he has improved dramatically and he does like whenever he does do his post-match interviews and he doesn't just take the pace he does talk about how he can improve his game and like i can get better at heading i can get better at my medium range passing and my you know contributions to goals and stuff like that he's talked about that so he is aware of his deficiencies in his game and he has improved them whenever he's mentioned them and and we go back and look at the stats again they do they do go up um the other thing to be mentioned with all this is he might actually be a Man City fan which when we're talking about the history of Liverpool and Man City and how great Liverpool's history is you actually have a, a world class player that's a Man City fan yeah like uh, I suppose we're probably 10 years away from that becoming a bit more common uh, but I suppose there's a very special case here yeah we're a long <laughs> way away from being being like players who dream of playing for you know like Gareth Bale said he was always dreaming of playing for uh, Real Madrid and Mbappe and you know that and Zidane even you know you're a long way away from that. Yeah, so it, it is funny that they uh, they just happen to have a former player who's had a, an amazing second generation talent uh, come through and, and and for me as well I think about it and and I just think like what was the point of him in not in him going to Dortmund but in Dortmund signing him because you know he was already electric when he was at RB Salzburg he was so clearly brilliant like Man United were being linked with him and a few other RB Leipzig and you know there was already big things ahead for his future and you were thinking okay he's going to go to Dortmund and they're going to actually challenge Bayern Munich they're going to be closer in, in, in the Champions League again and 
they just absolutely squandered it and it's just like what what is the point of this what is the point of this club <laughs> like what are their actual plans going forward is it just to you know make massive well, profits off young talent like is that it well that seems like ever since it, it, like we can revisit this at another time talking about the bundesliga but what it, they have no other avenue to success if they do well if their players do well if they develop their players they can't pay them what for instance Bayern Munich can pay them and maybe what Orbi Leipzig can start paying them um so they have to get rid of them and they can't sustain that forever so they've decided to move to a different or they decided when Jurgen Klopp was still at the club to move to a different model and that was attract young players give them chances give Jadon Sancho a chance maybe he didn't have to give as much chance to Erling Haaland having already scored so many goals in the Champions League but give other players like Jude Bellingham chances uh, in a first team in a high level league at European level and let them show how good they are to the world and then let them get the big transfer fee get them go to the club of their dreams and meanwhile Dortmund can rebuild again and and try to do something in Germany Um, I think you know they talk about how top four is it should be a trophy I think it's arguable that second place in Germany should be a trophy uh, yeah, moving on then, West Ham's European... <laughs> you seem very disappointed in my, uh, my Bundesliga uh, talk. It's more the point that we'll discuss this later, um, yes. you know, when we d- d- dive more into the transfer window and all that. But West Ham's European journey came to an end on Thursday. They lost to, to Frankfurt and David Moyes got sent off uh, for well, kicking the ball at a, at a child, uh, which was yeah. fun. <laughs> It was pretty miserable. Like it wasn't even like an accidental. Oh, I'm angry. I'm kicking the ball away. He was like point blank range, kicking yeah. the ball back into the crowd. And it's <gasps> not like it? the he was getting pelted with rockets or something. It was like it was a, a hostile environment, but it wasn't you know violent. But his explanation was so psychopathic as well. I was like, oh yeah, he just put it up on the volley for me. Like he didn't even chuckle as if it was a joke. It was like that's earnestly what he meant. Yeah. Is like, oh, I just put it up on the volley and I had to hit it. Yeah, you it's know, like, it's psychologically, like a... how could you resist? It's yeah. put there in front of you. You have to take it. Um, yeah, you miss ninety nine percent of chances you don't take. Yeah, but the actual uh, match itself ended up being quite disappointing for West Ham. They were still in the tie, having been. 2-1 down from the first leg but then Aaron Cresswell gets sent off for the same thing that he got sent off against Leon for in the previous round um, which you know they conceded not long after and that was pretty much it for the game then yeah they did they didn't like that I thought they would flex what they have and I said this in the earlier rounds and they almost did it against Leon to be honest they flex their physical abilities and their uh, way to get at teams and a kind of football that isn't really played in most content to Europe anymore, not at the highest level. That's what West Ham do. They get up and at them and they just were a spent tank in both legs against Frankfurt. Now, whether that was down to Frankfurt just controlling the tempo of the match and not letting it go for the whole game, which is part of it, no doubt, but they just they let themselves down and they they didn't know how to react. They started getting petulant, as you said, and... It was inevitable that they that they'd lose the cool and something would happen and and in this case it was Cresswell again and and after that like I don't think they showed much before but certainly after it they didn't show anything and even even you know to dignify their their appearance in a semi final of a European competition so it was it was overly disappointing for West Ham's point of view and really there is an opportunity there to at least compete with Frankfurt who weren't the best team in the world by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but they looked like they're in. They looked like you were playing like a proper big European side, and West Ham were putting their place. Yeah, like it is a great achievement for Frankfurt to get to a final, and they'll play Rangers in in, in that, and that'll be very fun, I think. But it, it definitely is a, a lost opportunity for West Ham. Yeah, uh, to win it to you to like forget about even qualifying for the Champions League through winning it, but also just winning a European trophy. Like, yeah, that's, winning that's any very, trophy. That that's a rare rare moment for most Premier League clubs if you're not one of the big six, so or even the yeah. big five or big four even. Forget the North London clubs, unfortunately. They they um they also, you know, have troubles in, in Europe. So this could have been a coup even over their London rivals. Um yeah. but they've they've missed that opportunity and that um that could be something these players think about for the rest of their lives. Yeah, especially like I don't think this you, know, you can already see them kind of not falling apart but you can see how they like this is the team that won was a four or five in it at the weekend but you can see how their 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 brand of football is is grating on them they're getting a lot of injuries they're not able to sustain it over the course of a season and they're falling away from being in a, a position where they could challenge for champions league football they're now 
you know, at the tail end of European qualification in the league. So it, it is a, a massive disappointment and a lost opportunity. Um, the other, the kudos to Rangers to get to the final, though. They, they took some scalps like Braga, Borussia Dortmund in themselves were big, were big teams to knock out of this tournament, um, considering their pedigree and their, their, their quality of football that they've been able to produce in recent times. And Rangers having changed managers midway through the year, um, signed some big players in the winter window uh, to replace other players. And uh, it seems to have been enough for them. They've they've lost the league in 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 Scotland, but I I think they take the European trophy or at least the European final over the league at this point. Yeah, and even like beating Orby Leipzig in the semi final, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. In considering how good Dominic, yeah, Dominic Tedesco's yeah. done a really good job over there. He's turned them really into the second best team in Germany, for which they should get a trophy. Um, seemingly yes, but yeah. uh, they should. I'm honestly like a little silver <laughs> circular thing. Oh god, but uh yeah, like that's definitely a, a missed opportunity for them, like a club that is trying to establish itself at the at the forefront of European football. Like this could have been a chance to win a a Europa League much like how Atletico got their Europa League before becoming a, a powerhouse under Simeone. Kike Sanchez Flores. Um, yeah, um and then again after they'd fallen away uh, as the European superpower um, yes. under Simeone so um, you know it's definitely a missed opportunity for them as well but I suppose that, you know someone's always going to miss out on a semi-final so um, I'm sure Leipzig will be back again next season uh, if they stick with Tedesco and what they're doing there I think uh, he's done a great job oh yeah they'll be in the Champions League get knocked out in the last 16 good times great, great times ahead I look forward to it but then uh in the championship, uh, Bournemouth and Fulham have earned promotion back to the Premier League. Are we ready for Bournemouth and Fulham to come back so soon? Um, I feel and I fear like they're going to be in a relegation battle <laughs> pretty quickly. Uh, in in you know they're clearly like we we were. Well, I was thinking about this off air. I don't think I discussed it much with you, but um, like speaking about Rangers, there, I think Rangers are a team of equivalent, probably quality of Bournemouth or Fulham. Like I think they would probably go ahead and win the championship comfortably enough, and then struggle in the Premier League. And I, I think that's the way it is with Bournemouth and Fulham. Like they have solid managers, Scott Parker and and your man who used to manage Everton in Hull. What's his name? Marco Silva. Marco Silva at Fulham. You know they they they've shown that they've they have a lot of Premier League <laughs> talent in that team, and they do. And they're a lot of their players are good enough to be in the Premier League, but they're good enough to, for a relegation battle in the Premier League. I don't know how well their fo- either of their footballs will, tr- will transfer to the Premier League again and how they will avoid getting stuck into the same bottomless pit of despair that relegation battle you know, is uh, and was for them the last time they got relegated. Yeah, like, I'm a bit more optimistic about Fulham, just, you know, third time's the charm, really. Uh, you know, you'd imagine uh, considering how poorly they went the last couple of times, but I do think that they can kind of learn from those mistakes that they made. Like, I do think their squad has a bit more of a solid foundation to it now. I think Marco Silva is a bit better at the job than what was it with Scott Parker, uh, coincidentally, last time that they went up with, and then they went with like they had Slavisa Jukanovic and Claudio Ranieri. Like, I think he is a bit better than, than those guys and will be better equipped to keep them up. But it's I, the I, players, though, I, I just yeah. Don't well, think I, I, I have no doubt that they'll invest. Like you know, they've shown a willing, willingness to do that, and you know, uh, you know, the Khan family, God bless them, love to to spend their money uh, on their their little fun projects. Um, but yeah, that, that did, I did not know that we mentioned the uh, Tony Khan quote. Oh man, the Tony Khan quote where where he um, was talking to the Athletic in the aftermath of them confirming the league win. They beat Luton 7-0 to win the title. And he gave an interview and he said, Fulham, I don't want Fulham to be a yo-yo club. I want us to be a yo club. Which um, just, you know, a perfect How old is he again? Is he like 21 or something ridiculous? No, he's not quite that young. I'd say he's early 30s maybe. Um, Yeah, he's 39. uh, Wow. God, is he thirty? He looks he, he looks younger to be fair, but I suppose he is also a billionaire, so that probably helps. Yeah, it does help. Um, yeah, and he's living he's living his best life as is good old Tony. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm a bit more optimistic about Fulham to bring it back to football. Um, you know, and but when it comes to Bournemouth, I think they're straight back down. Like they they quite simply had the had the resources to just power their way through the championship, and then they nearly blew it anyway. Um, and I'm excited for the playoffs as well. They're they're coming up soon. There's four interesting sides there, and I think 
Uh, I'm not too sure are any of them capable of going up and staying up, but I think they'll all be <laughs> kind of fun additions to the Premier League. Yeah, League. like there's, uh, like, Nottingham Forest, like, yeah, you know. Forest is the one that that stands out because they have the history. Because it's been like, have Forest even been up in in your lifetime? I don't think they have. They have, but I don't remember. It was like 20 years ago that they were up. So uh, I yeah, I think watching. I don't. I think they got relegated like 99 or something. Yeah, <clears> it was around then. Yeah. Um. Because I barely remember them. Um, yeah, Luton would be the amazing one, really, to get up if, if they were. Yeah, because be... of, you know, everything, including that 7-0. Everything that's happened <laughs> to them. The fact that, you know, they, they wanted the Olympic Stadium as well and, and weren't given it. And, you know, the argument to be made, the argument West Ham made is that they were a big club and Luton weren't. And now Luton could be competing in the same league as them and, by mm. all accounts, could do better than them. Um, I'm not expecting that to happen. And I think Luton, if they were somehow to fluke this into it would come straight back down uh Sheffield United was a surprise I thought as you know obviously their start of the season didn't didn't go very well and they did arrest it as it went on um and they do have the formulation of a Premier League side so you know they could do it I worry about their goal scoring ability even in the playoffs let alone the, the if they were to be successful and get into the, the Premier League and Huddersfield Town fair play to them recovering I suppose that parachute payments are working um, but at the same time, there's two teams who don't have parachute payments in the playoffs. So, you know, it, it, it's a sign that there is a bit of competitiveness in the championship. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite looking forward to it. And I, 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 I don't quite know who's going to do it. Like, Nottingham Forest definitely had the best end of season form, but then yeah. they lost a really big game to Bournemouth that if they'd won, they'd have leapfrogged them in the table and probably, yeah. you know, gotten automatically promoted. So that could have had a sting to their tail so I think that could that could help Huddersfield who I think have just been excellent all season and then Luton have really overperformed all expectations so um, yeah I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing who comes through there yeah considering I remember at Christmas how you know West Brom are up there still it's up before uh, Steve Bruce uh, and yeah. Blackburn you know Blackburn fell away as well and Middlesbrough I think probably your man came in a bit too early a bit too late uh, but next season I expect them to, to seriously challenge um for the playoffs at the very least um yeah and Derby didn't finish last you know In the time since we last spoke both legs of the Champions League semi-finals took place and boy did a lot happen we have our finalists Real Madrid will face Liverpool in Paris later this month in a 2018 grudge rematch what do we make of their route there, and who is the current favourite? Do you know what the best thing about this is? Sergio what? Ramos lives in Paris now. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be out well, this game. Where, where does Lars Karius live, though? That's the big oh, question. That's in Turkey, I want to say. Or is he Presumably. still on the, Is he still... I thought he went to Turkey. Did he win the league? He's on Which, loan, I believe. Uh, because whatchamacallit won the league in Turkey this year. Uh, no, he's not. A, he's with Besiktas. It's Trabzonspor won the league in Turkey, I think. So, um, yeah, Karius, I think, is still on the books at Liverpool. So maybe he'll be he'll get an honorary medal if they win. I I hope um, as a you know recompense for uh, twenty eighteen. <laughs> yeah. uh, and and I'm playing possibly with a concussion. You know that that probably shouldn't have happened. Uh, you know, but. Uh, as soon as Real Madrid got through, I think it was uh, Liverpool that, uh, or not Liverpool, it was Mo Salah put up a tweet saying, we have a score to settle. So yeah. um, good to see their rivalry is also better than their rivalry with Man City. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, it is certainly. From the, with the yeah. Tottenham earlier. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is a, the, the greatest rivalry in English football, as we said, Real Madrid-Liverpool. Um, <laughs> the, the third time they face each other in the Champions League final I think there is a, probably a bit of animosity at that not that there's a huge amount of players left from that Real Madrid side that beat them who like there is the core contingent there in uh, Benzema's there like Benzema's, Benzema's there need. yeah <laughs> yeah Benzema Kroos Casemiro and, and uh, Modric. Modric are the only real like I know there's some younger players or players who were younger at the time and Carvajal and, and uh, whatchamacallit Marcelo are still at the club uh, but how many of them will actually play against Liverpool is another question. Like at this point, like we bet against Real Madrid at every turn, even during matches. I thought Real Madrid were done for. Uh, but the, how can you? Like I, I don't know how they're going to do it. 
But how can they? How can you bet against them beating Liverpool at this stage? I don't know. They're not capable of doing what we saw, say, Tottenham do at the weekend. They're not capable of holding back and and playing that counter attacking football. They they have what one or two Rodrigo and and Vinicius who could probably do that running, but they they don't have the ability in midfield uh, to advance and to break forward with the energy and and needed bite to do that. They don't have the ability to press from midfield. Uh, their defenders have mistakes in them. Um, yeah, like I, I don't know how they're going to do it, but they are going to do it. They are going to win the Champions League. Just pure unadulterated magic, you know. That's, yeah, that's the ball the... will be kicked towards, <laughs> like it'll be a penalty to Liverpool. The ball will be kicked, and somehow it'll loop around. And Mo Salah will score an own goal from the opposition box. He'll hit the he'll hit the crossbar so hard it'll just yeah. fly over Allison's head, and <laughs> in. Yeah. Uh, Jurgen Klopp will melt like he uh, saw the Ark of the Covenant open yes that's what I'm thinking of exactly he kind of bears with some resemblance to the dude in, in Raiders of Lost Ark um, so I could not, definitely not see the it, he even wears a hat you know and glasses yeah so uh, it is just pure Don Carlo magic is powering uh, like it is funny as well like the route to the final has been so much more difficult on paper than what Liverpool have had to handle but they've they've mm. just flown through it with the like they've outdone themselves every time like PSG amazing comeback in the second leg uh, against Chelsea they they let their lead slip but then an amazing comeback in the last 10 minutes of the game and then against Man City in the last 2 minutes of the game <laughs> yeah so what I'm saying is the full time whistle is going to blow and then VAR is going to give a penalty <laughs> and that will be yeah I'm thinking back to works. yeah I'm thinking back to Carlo and the final against Atletico Madrid and how that was in ex- wasn't that in stoppage time that they that was at Ramos got the minute, yeah yeah like that's it's he has a magic with this sort of stuff like obviously and, and, he lost the 2005 final which in yeah, in, in and itself is a a motivating revenge. factor yeah like he did get his own back in 2007 winning again but against Liverpool but I know I I, I still say there's no love lost there for for Big Carlo. Especially having yeah, been Everton Car- manager as well and watching what's happened this season. <laughs> it was actually funny. You mentioned uh, Everton afterwards. And I, I, I just keep thinking, like, he's managed for so long and at so many different clubs. Like, he must forget some of the time. That, like some of the, He must wake yeah. up some mornings and just go, oh, yeah, I did manage Everton. <laughs> it was only last year. It was there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, like, I constantly forget that he managed PSG as well. And, uh, you know, this last week as well, he became the first coach to win the big five leagues. Um, you know, no other coach has done that before where they won the league title in Spain, France, Italy, Germany and England, uh, which is remarkable as well when you realise he's only won five league titles. So he's been one and done every time, which is, uh, you know, speaks to, to Carlos' efficiency as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like the, there's a couple of caveats, like the Fran- the PSG one, he didn't he didn't stay long enough to win other league titles. I think he he left for Madrid before he could actually win another one, and I think he probably would have won another one had he stayed. Uh, and and Germany something similar as well. Um, I thought he might have won more, but I suppose he left before that league season ended. Did he? Yeah, he did. And uh, who came in to replace? Was it Yup came in again, or is it? Yeah, temporarily, and then they went with Nico Kovac. I want to say. Yeah, um, and he took the league that year. So yeah, like there, there is some caveats with it. And obviously, he managed in Italy for so long, in a period where it was very difficult to win the Serie A title. Um, for any of the, the like, for even though he was at Juventus, he was at Milan. Uh, it was very difficult to win the league title, and he did well to compete as he did for so many consecutive seasons against Marcello Lippi and. Fabio Capello and and Sven Goran Eriksson at his best. You know these. It was a tough time to be a manager in Italy. Um, so you know, it it does kind of make it sound that like he was very efficient and maybe he wasn't that good in the league. But you know, at the same time, there is there is reasons for that. But like it speaks to the fact like he was doing this like twenty years ago, like reaching yeah. a Champions League final in two thousand three with Milan, winning it as well uh, against Juve. Winning it in 2007 and now getting to winning it as well in 2014 and now getting to another final in, in 2022 and you know if they won that it would be a, an impressive achievement considering Real Madrid you know obviously a huge club but aren't at their best these days a very old squad you know um, going up against this brilliant Liverpool team that are going for a quadruple pro- probably won't quite get it but are still you know one of the best sides English football has ever seen. 
definitely the favourites in my mind for for the for the for this as well. Like, I think they should realistically crush Real Madrid, except this is a team that just can't be crushed. Um, you know, for whatever voodoo magic that they've got. Um, yeah, it's like so. watching the Terminator fight, you know, Sarah Connor or something like that. Yeah. It's like she shouldn't stand a chance, but they're still going. Yeah, so like I think this does speak as well. Like Carlo, I think goes under the radar when we discuss the best managers of all time, and I don't think he's quite at that level where we consider him one of the top three or top five. But I, no. I, I do think he deserves some recognition as one of the absolute greats because he, you know, he has been brilliant, and I think not many managers out there could get to a Champions League final twenty years apart. No, and he he has an adaptability or malleability that a lot of other managers just don't have. They don't have that... Like, he started very much... Because he was managed by Arrigo Sack. He was... I think he worked with Fabio Capello. And he worked with other, you know, really hard-nosed managers in the 80s and 90s playing for Roma and Milan. And he came out as a manager as a very ideological person playing, you know, the very pressing 4-4-2 and, and being very inflexible at things. And then over time, he was like, actually, if I change, we'll actually win the game. And if I get on with players will actually win the match and everything like that. And over time, that's just what happened. Um, they got they got the work done. He got on with the players and the, the coaches and everybody else at, at the different f- football clubs he was at. And it was enough to, to drive through. And fair yeah. play to him. I think it's something most other managers of that spectrum don't have. Yeah, and we saw some of that as well in this second leg. Like, you know, I think throughout the campaign, he's managed the ties very well. Like, his substitutions have been inspired. Like, Kamavinga coming off the bench has pretty much changed the game every time. Uh, you know, it would be an interesting, bold choice for him to start the game against Liverpool no, instead of Tony But I think, that's, I think that's key to it. It's almost like, okay, Kroos has kept the... It's like a metronome keeping everything ticking over. And then that's the point where you deploy the substitutes is mm. whenever the game is a bit more open, people are a bit more tired and you can go. And that's why he, he puts Camavinga on that time. And that's also why he brings on people like Marcelo to kind of steady the ship later on when you have Mendy starting earlier in the match or one of the other younger players there. He has a way of like in-match management that I think you can't really learn. You kind of grow with experience. And, and we saw as well an example of his own man management skills when, you know, in that second leg, I think it was at 3-1 at this point on the night, he was discussing with Marcelo and with Tony Kroos who to come on next. Like, he was he was bringing them in and asking them for their judgment on, on the read of the game. You know, Kroos would have, you know, been on the pitch at the time. So he was almost the best person to ask what the feel of the game was like. And I think that's that was very smart as well, you know, with those two very experienced players they've been there they've seen it all they've done it all and I'm not sure many other managers would have actually you know taken their own ego aside and said look I'm going to ask these other two what they think and take their feedback on board you know I, you know, is Pep Guardiola going to do that with Kevin De Bruyne like I, I don't think so I think Kevin De Bruyne came off and those two people did not discuss anything for the rest of the night <laughs> after the way that match went <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I don't think so. I think there, there there's no love lost in that relationship. But yeah, he do, he is definitely open to what's going on. It's very much a family affair as well. He is his son David David as uh, his assistant uh, at Madrid, and uh, you know, I think it, it, there's a close network there um, where they, there is a, a sense of trust, and everyone believes in in the goal that they're go- going towards and whatever it takes. Um, so it is very. I think it is a different way to approach modern football. It's not something we're seeing as much anymore. And it's refreshing in the same way that, like, you do need that, you know, as we talked here at the beginning, the outset of the show, you do need that, that Spurs, that Conte team to do something different. You need this kind of Ancelotti team to do something different. Yeah, and it's 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 funny that both Ancelotti and, and Conte have both got the one-up on Man City this season. And it is yeah. remarkable that... It's Man City that have completely blown up again in the Champions League with Pep Guardiola in charge. Like, what is going on there? I wonder what the behind the scenes and the aftermath of that looked like. Um, especially because going into both games, like over the years, the criticism of Pep has been that he overthinks it, that he brings in this high IQ strategy into the game that he didn't need to. If he just mm. stuck with the plan, everything would have been fine. And then this year. He largely sticks to the plan as best that he can. I think Kyle Walker's injury made him, you know, that that was even an excuse for him to, to try something new. And he just, again, just slots someone in to play the exact same role. 
uh, uh, Kyle Walker would have done if he played and then he brought Kyle Walker in and you know he just played everything as normally as he possibly could have like he was playing you know Norwich or Wolves or yeah. whatever in the league and then it still all blows up it was still just absolutely remarkable especially in the manner in which that everything just you know fell apart for them my simple answer for what went wrong is the goalkeeper like I think a better goalkeeper and Ederson is a very good goalkeeper I think a better goalkeeper probably saves that header uh, which the was that the equalising goal or was it the first goal uh, they were both like the, the Rodrigo one or not yeah Rodrigo didn't Rod- Rodrigo score both? Oh, did he? I'm just <laughs> yeah, confused so. now. The one that came from the from the right hand side. Now that was the second left, one. Yeah, yeah. The left the the left back issue is a whole other situation. But I think if you were looking for a simple fix or a simple person to blame, I think it's the goalkeeper. And I think that was probably the difference between them going through and not going through. And I think it was possibly the difference between them going through and not going through. The season Spurs made the Champions League final. Um, well, it's funny as well that you mentioned that because I, I I heard, I can't remember who it was, mentioned that, you know, I think it was John Wilson mentioned that if Jack Grealish should just track back a bit more, like that was his own, yeah. you know, he just missed the chance as well that would have absolutely sealed the tie five minutes beforehand. Like that is that is an area where Jack Grealish probably should have been on the pitch. Uh, and as well, like it does take a bit of a deflection on its way to just hitting Rodrigo in the face rather than Rodrigo heading it in. Yeah, there is there is um, definite like complete flukiness with it and with the miss of Jack Grealish as well because it was like, you know, it's one of those ones that it either goes in or it doesn't go in. It's not one of those ones where he intentionally like does does his absolute best to miss it or does his absolute best to put it into the back of the net. It kind of just was what it was. Um, yeah, it's small margins. I suppose that's football. But yeah, psychologically, they did collapse after that. They They never looked like getting back into the game. And as I've said earlier in the season, and indeed when they lost to Spurs, that they lacked something up front. And I know it's silly to say that they need a centre forward, but I think they do need a centre forward. Um, if nothing else, to act as that, what we were talking about earlier, when we were talking about Spurs playing them, you know, you had Son up front, you had Kane up front, you had Kul- Kulile- whatever your man, the ginger fellow's name is. Kulievsky? Kulievsky. Cool, yeah, whatever his name is, um, for Tottenham. They were players that could run at you and would stay forward and would be a, a threat on the counter-attack. And to be honest, Man City didn't have that in the game against Real Madrid. And as a result, Real Madrid kind of overwhelmed them with pressure. And eventually something like that was going to happen. A, a player wasn't going to track back or a player was going to miss a block on a cross or it was just going to be deflected into a player's face and then eventually would just go in and that happened um for man city and you know the defenders made mistakes after that as well and they didn't have a way didn't have a linchpin or didn't have a focal point for their attacks afterwards so the the ball just went in that horseshoe of doom where they just played passes across in front of real madrid's box until they sent a cross into nobody because they don't have that type of player in the team and that just is what happened over and over again and yeah it's it's that is that is the problem with Man City this season. That is the difference between them running away with the league, I believe, and not you know I'm probably just winning the league with ninety odd points, um, and it, it's just not having that extra dimension in their game. Like I think they're great 90 percent of the time, but it's those crucial ten percent, those small margins that that are the difference between winning massive historic trophies and not. And, and the really remarkable thing for me as well is that, you know, first of all, they had the two-goal lead. Like, they they needed yeah. to concede twice to give this away in the 90th minute, which in itself is, like, you know, the kind of comeback you, you really don't see very often. But at the same time, like, for a team that did score four goals in the first leg, they really should have been, like, properly ahead going into the second leg. Like, the second leg shouldn't have even been a contest. They were so dominant in that game, and they squandered plenty of chances. And then defensively, were just so poor. Um, yeah. No, the first know, like there is excuses, yeah, because like, they're playing uh, Fernandinho as a right back. Um, yeah, like I am thinking specifically of that moment when Fernandinho is just caught out of position, and then Rodri or not Rodrigo Vinicius just Vinicius. completely rinses the Man City yeah. defense. Like you know that is just something they needed to be a bit more disciplined about with Walker not there. Um, and it, you know it's hard to be too sympathetic for a side as rich as Man City to say, oh well, you oh know, yeah, absolutely, have this player. Absolutely. So, you know, I don't really take it as that big of an excuse, but, um, you know, at the same time, it always hurts when, when a key player isn't involved. Um, so, like, it, it, it's funny as well, because, like, you might say, like, after a certain point, 
it has to be more than bad luck but you know at a certain time as well like is the sample size that big like it is seven or eight times in a row but like how many times in a row is that really um yeah but it does obviously just continues to raise the question of can pep actually win this competition again because it's been since 2011 like if you told me in 2011 with them ripping apart matches united that pep wouldn't win this competition again god i laughed you out of the building like that was just an unheard of kind of thought but ever since then they've reached one final you know or he's reached one final a few semi-finals like he's been knocked out last 16 quarter final like some years you know same close despite mm. the the wealth of talent that he's had at his disposal like it's just bizarre yeah like and it's just i think i think it i think that's great though i think it goes to show that money can't buy everything yeah and despite the wealth at, at hand it is a competition that can be decided on things that aren't money things that aren't tangible even like desire want better plans better form better individual performances on the day a bit of luck these are things that make sport interesting and this is why we watch sport and you know for all i think it would be too easy if man city were on a procession every season like that's why i hope for other teams to challenge man city and any team at the top it's why when manchester united were the great force they were everyone wanted to beat them everyone wanted them to lose because they wanted something else to happen they wanted competition they want closeness same with liverpool in the past same with madrid in the champions league same with any any dominant big force and i think the 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 way things are now in most of the european top leagues the way that money has kind of soured everything in the way that it has like with just power being centered at big clubs and they're the only teams that can actually win anything it's discouraging and i think the only thing we still have in these games is the ability to to root against the big guy and like they have the propensity for it to happen and and the fact that it can happen is why it's popular yeah well even you know we should touch on Villarreal like we got a bit of that as well in the second leg when in the first half they completely blew Liverpool away like which none of us would have expected and Liverpool very much the bad guy in this situation given their their huge resource advantage over the 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 great underdog Emery's Villarreal side and you know for a brief moment there it looked like that you know something special might happen and then Liverpool did what Man City won't, haven't been able to do, and that's just turn it on in the second half and crush their opponent. And obviously, it helps when you've uh, Ruli and Goal who just uh, turned into a ghost in that second half. Like, what was he doing? But yeah, you know, Liverpool just—they're clearly so um, brilliant that uh, you know it's it's hard to really knock them for for reaching another final. Yeah, in cup competitions, like on their, like basically on on a single day matches, they they can be one of the best in the world. Um, Tottenham showed at the weekend how they can be got at, and other teams this season have shown how they can be got at. But yeah, they they were exceptional, especially in the latter half of that second half. They switched a few things around, not even in terms of personnel. They did make a couple of changes. Luis Diaz was one of them, um, but they they did just like okay start pressing a bit higher give Lakata have a bit more of a freer role and suddenly VRL couldn't cope with Liverpool at all and it could have been like a lot more goals than it was I love football thank you We've got plenty of Premier League action this week as the the season almost draws to a close. Most teams have about two games left, but the the big one, clearly, uh, the North London Derby on Thursday at White Hart Lane. Uh, you know, Arsenal can't afford to lose and still qualify for the Champions League, but, you know, there's no way they're going into the game with that mindset, surely. No, although it is a very dangerous mindset <laughs> for any team to go into. We just spoke about it with Man City, about how they went in with a lead and, and just, you know, was it a 2-1 lead or whatever the equivalent of that is a very dangerous lead because you you know you don't have to do anything but that's what preys in your mind and you become too worried to do anything and you start making mistakes um arsenal are relatively weak psychologically i think that's been proven time and time again i know when we did our prediction show we thought they would come out on top at least i did anyway of this little pyramid um and i thought they could have done it by winning those three games that they ended up losing uh, as it turned out, that would have been enough for them to qualify for the Champions League quite easily, as other results have gone their way as well. Uh, but they are in this point now where they're four points clear. I like before 
things before the Liverpool match at the weekend I thought Tottenham would lose to Liverpool and I thought it would even be easier for Arsenal I thought they they could go into this playing for a draw and likely win it because Tottenham would stretch themselves um, and I still I think like I've given to, I think Tottenham's ability and their my expectation of them has gone up a little because of that Liverpool match and I give a chance at a draw in this match but again that won't be good enough for Tottenham I don't think to to really get the place in this because I think Arsenal will get a couple of extra wins before the end of the season. Yeah, like I think for Jeopardy's sake, we we we'd want Tottenham to win this game just so this isn't all wrapped up before the final day. And Arsenal um, can relegate Everton on the last day of the season. Yeah, because those, like obviously the relegation race is still like probably the most entertaining aspect of the the league right now, and it is really close. And we should look at those fixtures as well but in terms like this top four race could be over on Thursday quite literally if if Arsenal win they do confirm themselves as a Champions League club for next season Um, and if they win they could they could potentially leapfrog uh, Chelsea so I didn't realize there's only one point behind oh yeah Um, yeah. that's that's remarkable Um, and Chelsea don't have easy games either um, between now and the end of the season I don't believe or do they (laughs) I'm checking Chelsea's fixtures don't you worry yes they're playing Uh, Leeds yeah, Leeds on Wednesday. Um, yeah. You know, Leeds who, who do need to win that game. Like, they found themselves losing to Arsenal and now in the relegation zone. As a result of that, with Everton beating Leicester, like, you know, Leeds absolutely have to win that game. Otherwise, you'd be looking at them as the favourites to go down, probably. Yeah, I think I think so. It'd be very hard for them to escape at that point unless Burnley managed to shoot themselves in the foot somehow. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that's a must-win match for Leeds. Chelsea have a FA Cup final to think about and uh on the weekend so how how extent how what do you, how much the guys train themselves in this game will be interesting to see and i, I imagine Leeds fans will be all, all behind them uh up uh, up at Ellen road um so there is an opportunity for both arsenal and tottenham to to still maintain the top four finish if chelsea can manage to lose uh two of their last three games i think there is an opportunity that that both teams could uh actually leapfrog chelsea which would be a turn up for the books considering they're the season they've had yeah and i suppose we probably <laughs> there's been so much to talk about that we'll probably need to set aside next week just to talk about the the takeover mm-hmm. situation that's going on over there when it's um confirmed confirmed like i think we're pretty close to to full understanding of what's going on over there we'll give it another week just in case anything else happens uh, yeah because there's a lot of the, stuff that could happen and, and as well there's the FA Cup final as well next week which we'll preview now in a moment that we can dovetail in quite nicely there but going into that final like can Chelsea kind of find back their form for the one game or is this just this inertia has it set in too much for them in going into this game <sighs> like Thomas Tuchel before has masterminded single match victories, but he has been absolutely decimated as well. I'd be interested to see what what team he he puts out, how they can really... like. I'm thinking back to last season's FA Cup final and how disappointing they were, but there is all, you know, there is the excuse that, you know, the Champions League takes precedent, that's what they're going for. But you can't escape the feeling that, like, he didn't know how to set them up for it. The occasion became too big for them almost like domestically and everything associated with it there was too many fans there and it maybe was a bit too much for them now you put the added pressure of Liverpool going for in theory a, a quadruple whether they'll, they'll actually go for it be able to go for it or not I think is is looking more and more unlikely but like I think that'll be a lot for them to take especially the way the, the, the League Cup final went that being said that League Cup final result gives Chelsea that bit of extra motivation to, to do it in the big occasion which is you know, the FA Cup is bigger than the League Cup and this will be the one that would count in the in the record books more if they were managing to do it. Yeah, that that's going to be a really interesting one because it's been like it's it's common enough that we if if we saw like a, a team in ninth or tenth in the league got to a cup final, they'd probably spend a few weeks before that final losing basically all their games. Yeah. But it's very unusual to see you know a team that's you know a Champions League level team that's third in the league. It's very rare for, for them to have that happen to the point where they're suddenly not so safe in third. Um, so you know I think they 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 potentially need the wake up call of a of a big Leeds game on the Wednesday night. Um, so and they're not too disadvantaged by playing the Wednesday because I believe Liverpool Liverpool are playing on Tuesday night against Aston Villa which um, you know is a day's different, but difference but really, uh, now I mean, big that's... Stevie G is going to do Liverpool a favour in that match I'd say 
<laughs> yeah, potentially. But uh, then as well, the other interesting thing is if we look back at the relegation race, like Leeds of 34 points with three games to go, if they win against Chelsea, they'll be on 37. And, and that's a pretty high total to be talking about when looking at the, the team to go down. Yeah, it is. It's, it's as it's turned out. You know, our, all our predictions have basically been wrong this season. <laughs> and as it turned out, like these teams are all putting together results. Like, who would have thought that if you got three wins in a row, as Burnley have in April, that they would still be as in the quagmire as they are now? Um, but mm. they are. Uh, and Le- Leeds, similarly, when Jesse March, when was it Wolves that they beat that time? Yeah. Um, when they came back from behind, like who would have thought that after that night that they would be in such a predicament at this stage? But they are, and really, they're you know, we didn't talk too much about the the Arsenal match they played at the weekend, but like Luke Ayling with that ridiculous challenge on, on Martinelli, like basically, and everybody on Sky Sports basically gave their their view that that could be the last game he ever plays in the Premier League <laughs> because he's getting a three match ban or whatever. Now he misses those games, and when he comes back, he'll be in the Championship. Yeah, like that. I I didn't see that tackle when I heard it was a, it was a horror one. All right, so like that that was a really underwhelming performance from Leeds. Like obviously Arsenal had everything still still to play for in a way that Chelsea don't. But it, you know they'll need to be much better midweek uh, in that game. And I suppose you know Chelsea are rivals as well with Leeds United. There's a history there. So I remember yeah. at Stamford Bridge, they rose to the occasion there. So you know I'm sure Alan Rose Leeds have right performed well against Chelsea in recent times. They put them up to it. Even you know when when Chelsea were going a bit more for the title and stuff like that, Leeds did show up to them. So maybe I just you know Leeds. It's been a unfortunate season in a lot of way for Leeds. You know they've lost a lot of players all season. They obviously lost uh, Bielsa as well, and and March hasn't been an unmitigated success. Um, but still, it's a it's a whole thing. Yeah, so there'll be plenty for us to to discuss next week. So until then, uh, unless you want to bring up anything else, Andrew. No, no, Jacqueline, thank you for having me. That's all I want to say. Yeah, thank you for being here. So uh, we'll be back again next week. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then don't forget you can tell family and friends about the show. Spread the word of the Total Football Takeover. This show can also be found on podcast services, including Spotify, by searching Total Football Podcast. You can also subscribe to my own Medium page in the show notes. You can follow Andrew on Twitter at Conbon27, C-O-N-B-O-N, and myself at CheesyHeartPun, C-H-E-E-S-Y-H-I-R-T-E-P-U-N. Most of all, thank you for listening, and we hope to be in your download feed next week too. The more the merrier. That's what we always say. <laughs>